welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on a variety of topics for you and your family. Today's topic, unfortunately, is timely, divorce during COVID. And my guest is Nora Ann Brooklocker, a local marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Welcome back, Nora Ann. Thank you so much for having me again, Cherry. Yes, you're our frequent guest, and, and we hit some really vital topics um, every month, which um, I think is fabulous. And unfortunately, today is another timely topic. But if if we're going to talk about divorce during COVID, it seems to me that um, we need to go back and talk a little bit about the institution of marriage. Don't you think that we should maybe... Um, sort of qualify and quantify that a little bit because some things have changed. They've changed with marriage. It, it's it been the norm for decades. I know myself, uh, who got married in 1970, um, you were supposed to meet someone, get married, have children, and that's everything you were supposed to do. And you were supposed to stay with that person uh, forever. But here in 2021, we're seeing that for for many, many years, people have been choosing not to marry in fact, soon marriage will be only be adopted by about 50% of our population. That includes uh, singles that never married, divorced people, and widowed people who choose not to marriage. Do you think that marriage is losing its significance, Nora Ann, and that this is the wave of the future? And if it is losing its significance, why do you think that is? So I look at this question in a couple of ways, because on one hand, I I don't think it's as big of a necessity as it once was. Um, I think that in the last uh, couple hundred years, a lot has changed. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that if we really just look at the, the last 50 years in particular, and we can give some uh, huge shout-out to RBG here, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, in 1970, women couldn't sign a mortgage or have a bank account without a male co-signer. Um, it was a standard 50 years ago for women to be fired from their jobs when they were pregnant. Um, and in uh, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in fact, hit her own pregnancy while she was a professor at Rutgers Law School um, so that she wouldn't be told that she couldn't teach. Um, and then in 1996, United States versus uh, Virginia case, uh, Ginsburg wrote the majority opinion that it is unconstitutional for, for schools funded by t- taxpayer dollars to bar women from attending those public institutions. Um, and she said women belong in all places where decisions are being made, uh, and that was specifically in regard to jury duty. So one of the, the reasons I, I highlight all of those pieces is that that is a huge game changer in terms of women's ability to choose and you know not being able to have a credit card in your own name or even a bank account without a male cosigner and oftentimes it would be in that male cosigner's name rather than the woman's own so i think in terms of necessity things have changed dramatically. Um, But also, I think that in some ways, too, it's actually gained significance. 
And one of the, the pieces I would say there is people are choosing to marry later and have children later, which often equates to greater maturity and contributes to stability. And so I think that um, because divorce rates have been higher, I think that there have been children that have brought up and in these divorced households, and statistics show that um, children from divorced families often will divorce themselves. Um, but in addition to that, I think that um, the bar has lowered. <laughs> so, well, that, uh, let me unpack that a little bit. That's that's a lot of great information. And RBG, of course, is one of my heroes. And um, you're absolutely right. We women do not have to get married anymore. In, uh, in order to have security, in order uh, to have um, middle-class life. Um, that's changed a great deal. And it used to be that maybe we didn't really have the choice, where today we have enormous choices in our life as to how we want to have our relationships and how we want to have our children. Um, so that independence for women and gender equality has been a huge factor. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because we forget how it used to be. And your generation and the generation of my grandchildren, um, many times they don't even know how it used to be, don't you think? Absolutely. Before 1970, divorce was relatively uncommon and it was difficult to get fault was usually required. One of the spouses had to have committed a crime or just done something that justified the divorce. Um, examples would be like adultery, uh, prove, proven adultery, uh, abandonment, cruelty, uh, intoxication, so substance abuse, um, or some other reason that really made it a necessity to end the marriage. But by 1970, almost all states had laws allowing no-fault divorces. And so if we really look again at the, the last 50 years, that is a huge, huge change. And that's what one of the reasons why I would say that the bar has lowered. Um, and so I think that it's more uh, feasible for, for people to make that choice. Um, and even beyond that, you know, in terms of, of generations, I think that um, there's so much information out there now, and society itself as, as a greater whole has changed. So people are now really looking at their time and their, their lives and deciding how, how will it be best spent. Well, and I remember 1970, I was 20 years old, and that's when I got married, and that was the average age of getting married, and today that seems so young. I mean, at 20, like we barely even know, you know, what's up and what's down, and yet that was the average marriage age, and then children followed right after that. But we're not following into that model these days. I mean, people are waiting into their 30s and waiting to have children. And why do you think that is? So, so much of one's identity changes during their 20s, and it does tend to stabilize quite a bit by their 30s. Part of that, too, is brain development. Um, research shows that our brain is actually not fully done developing until about 25, and some, uh, some research is even indicating maybe until about 30. And part of that is um, what's called the prefrontal cortex, 
which is responsible for organizing and planning and really thinking ahead. So while in our uh, early 20s, we might really enjoy um, the person maybe because of its uh, romance or the, the sexual chemistry, but as we get later on in life, um, we, we begin to really look at our values, our beliefs, um, the, the pieces that are more the, the common interests and the uh, sustainability factors. We re- really think uh, a little bit longer term about how do we see this person fitting into our lives. So again, it's partially that maturity, um, and uh, once uh, our identity has more so stabilized, then I think that we know a little bit more of what we're getting into and can better extrapolate what life with this individual might look like. Well, it's not that couples are not forming long-term committed relationships. Um, In fact, if the marriage rate is down to, say, 50%, that doesn't mean the other 50% aren't involved in long-term and committed relationships just as long-term and committed as if they were getting married, but they don't go have the marriage certificate. Why do you think that is? You know, I think there's there's a couple reasons there. Um, a big one is children. Um, I think that uh, there's some really interesting research uh, that describes how marriage remains a major predictor of people having children, Um, that uh, when it it comes to um, the decline in births among women who have never been married, it's actually quite large. Um, And so in terms of uh, marriage itself, I think that uh, while people might still very much have, have children out of wedlock, and that's no longer a necessity that you have to be married in order to have children, um, it never was to be fair, but there was certainly stigma attached. Um, but I do think that a lot of people who I have talked to have described how financially they really want to ensure that they have uh, things secured first um, before having kids or getting married. But to your your uh, question here in terms of just not really seeing the necessity of marriage itself, I think that there are a lot of people who will uh, point to the fact that it's just a, a, a paper Piece of paper, paper, yeah, and that they don't want to necessarily have this legally binding contract that states their commitment to their spouse that this is still their life partner, um, but that they choose to be in that relationship as opposed to that they feel obligated, and that's perhaps Mm -hmm. how they see it. Or again, they uh, were in a household that had conflict, that um, they they come from a divorced family, and um, that they don't themselves want to go that direction. And so they're choosing instead to really prove their commitment by not getting married and staying anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. As you're talking, I realize so much has changed in the last uh, 50 years. And a lot of people have really had to change, maybe not their mindset, but they had to adapt to what was happening. For instance, uh, living together out of wedlock. And that's an interesting word, out of wedlock. That's very much a term, I think, from my baby boomer generation, having sex out of wedlock, um, all of the things that today uh, don't raise so many eyebrows. Right. 
Absolutely. I think that there are lots of things that are becoming much more normalized. Um, Mm -hmm. And another example, of course, I have to give a shout out to mental health. (laughs) Because there there is a truth in that, too. I think that there are certain things that are are becoming understood in, in a whole different way. And that would include, you know, that there are a lot of hardships that we go through and um, emotional support is is another big one. And that would also at this point include blended families. Um, And I I think, you know, there's there's many things that have changed, including uh, same-sex marriages as well. And um, there has actually been quite a lot of people, so this is to that point of how marriage has actually in some ways gained significance. There are a lot of people that are choosing marriage um, as well because it's now accessible and it's it's a right that they're able to to access. Hmm. Well, talk about normalizing uh, something. Let's get on to our main topic, which is divorce. I think over the last uh, couple of decades, we've, and I don't know if the word's right, we've normalized that too, don't you think? What What is the main reason that couples get divorced? So in a study by Scott et al. in 2013, um, uh, quote, the most commonly reported major contributors to divorce were a lack of commitment, infidelity, and conflict in arguing. And the most common, quote, unquote, final straw reasons were infidelity, domestic violence, and substance use, uh, or probably abuse. Um, And interestingly, more participants blamed their partners than blamed themselves for the divorce. End quote. I want to expand on that a little bit, though, per what I often see in my own work. I would say one of the biggest uh, reasons that clients come in to see me and that they're struggling in their marriages uh, is financial stress. That is one that really lights a fire. Um, In addition to that, uh, there's what uh, are oftentimes those communication problems. So, uh, I want to put out here the idea of Gottman's Four Horsemen. So John Gottman and Julie Gottman, they're some of the leading researchers in couples, and they're able to watch a couple's argument for three to five minutes and predict with 90% accuracy uh, whether or not that couple will remain together in the years to come. And it's based on these uh, four pieces. So one is uh, criticism, two, defensiveness, three, contempt, and four, stonewalling. So these are just different breakdowns in communication. I would say defensiveness and criticism are pretty commonplace. Um, Criticism would be a lot of those you statements, you did this, you did that. It might be a lot of uh, all or nothing type of language, everything, nothing, uh, whatnot uh, along those lines. But it feels very focused towards the person as instead of the behavior. And then the other person might get on the defensive. Um, And the defensiveness as well, no matter how somebody couches what needs to be said, perhaps the other person has a really hard time hearing it. Um, And included in that defensiveness might be automatically going to tears. Um, So then the other person's now in the position of soothing, saying, oh, whoops, I didn't mean to hurt you. Um, It might be that yelling uh, automatically erupts. 
It might be that they turn it around, say, ah, it's not me, it's you. Um, There's lots of different examples of defensiveness. Um, But one of the the biggest issues there and one of the reasons why, oh, when I I see this in my, my office, it is a huge red flag, and that is contempt. That's when um, things have really gotten bad. It's to the point where there's a lot of disrespect. Um, It's name-calling. It's insulting. It's hurting for the sake of hurting. And that generally indicates that there has been um, a lot of buildup leading to this point in time where damage is done. Um, That's not to say healing can't take place, especially once they realize that that's occurring. But those Four pieces are huge predictors of the breakdown of a relationship. Oh, that was a lot of information, Nora. <laughs> and of course, as we're listening, and I don't know, uh, Jackie, who of course is recording this and is uh, is my partner on these podcasts, that I'm sure that we're thinking of our own personal history on this, but also uh, I'm thinking about um, what we expect out of marriage. I mean, do we expect too much, you know, that you'll look at somebody and promise to always be a certain way or that you will uh, be able to be in this relationship for decades? Um, Do we come in with rose-colored glasses a lot of the time? I don't remember. I don't know. In high school now, do they teach a course on communication and relationships? Uh, Because most of us don't come with that... um, having being that prepared yes right i you know i think that that's actually been one of the really hard parts with covid for newlyweds in particular um there has been a a spike in the divorce rate amongst newlyweds during time of covid and i Mm -hmm. think part of it is that this is one of the first really really big obstacles that couples have had to go through Um, very early on in their marriage, whereas couples who have probably been together for, you know, decades, um, they've weathered a lot of storms, and this is just another one of those. Um, But I do think that once those romantic or, again, the sexual feelings subside, then uh, some people might consider that their relationship or their marriage is is a failure. And the truth of it is is that uh, throughout the life of a marriage, we're going to get to know the very many facets of our partners. Um, We're we're definitely going to have to take off those rose-colored glasses, and I think that that's one of the earlier parts of marriage is uh, coming to learn that these expectations or these romanticized ideas are a little bit different in practice, and there is a lot of compromise and concession that comes over time. Um, But one of the biggest things I'll say is to expect that there will be problems that arise in the relationship. I think that better prepares couples for when they do occur so that they can respond more appropriately in the healthiest manner manner possible. Do you think uh, we were talking about certain things being normalized and certainly divorce um, has become more prevalent? I don't know if it's been normalized. Do you think we make it too easy to get out of marriage? Um, I'm going to say yes and no. I'm going to say that there again the the uh bar has been lowered 
um, meaning that what one has to tolerate has changed. And I think that tolerance for certain behaviors has significantly lessened. So one of the, the big things I'll, I'll put out there is it really depends on, on what's occurring in the relationship. Um, an example would be domestic violence or uh, possibly major addictive behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. There are some endangering situations where if we uh, heighten the bar there, make it more difficult, then that also increases the difficulty for those populations who are already struggling as is. But with that said, um, for other individuals, like let's say that it's that they feel lonely, that they feel that they've lost their sense of connection, that they want more emotional support, they've lost their sense of self, Um, they've fallen out of love, Uh, there's that lack of intimacy. So again, these are all things that I think we can uh, work on. Those are all pieces where it's opportunity perhaps to reconnect and to uh, rebirth the relationship in some ways. There was a spark that began it all, and it's coming back to that, but in a renewed sense. Well, um, I've had a few couples say to me, and and I've certainly heard this um, in other uh, interviews and podcasts, when you ask a long-term couple um, why they didn't get, why why they stayed together, why they didn't get, and their answer is, well, we just didn't get divorced. So (laughs) sort of the meaning of that was, during the bad times when we thought we both wanted to bail, I'm these are my words, we just didn't do it. And then maybe they got the spark back and they just didn't call it quits during the bad times. Yeah. And many times, yeah. you know, if, if we've normalized divorce, uh, we've normalized kind of calling it quits. I'm not saying that's good or bad. Uh, I'm just saying it just seems like... Uh, we have normalized it. It's not the stigma that it used to be. I remember in, must have been um, the late 50s, uh, my mother divorced my father for relevant reasons. And that was really stigmatized back then. A divorced woman, children from a broken family. But we don't, we don't find it. I think things have changed on that uh, stigma, don't you think? Yes, yes, definitely. I think um, again, this is a this is a both and. On on one side, um, there are really really relevant reasons to uh, for the breakdown of a relationship and. I must say I'm I'm not a proponent for divorce, but I am a proponent for healthy. And what healthy looks like can be extremely variable um, depending on the circumstances. Um, I do think, though, that there are some things where, um, again, we might have those romanticized notions that this person is going to be perfect or our life together is going to be perfect. And when we hit really rocky points, I think it is a really uh, natural reaction to look for the exit hatch or to think that it would be easier 
um, yeah. to to get out of the marriage, you know, that maybe there's something better out there. So we develop this sense of fantasy about what else there might be. And initially, uh, it might be easier. It might be more exciting. It might be more fun. But fact of the matter is that what people are struggling with in the breakdown of a marriage often will come back up uh, because life is challenging, relationships are challenging, it gives me really great job security, but with that said... <laughs> um, I, I think that communication in general is really hard, and yeah. these are growing opportunities. So with growth comes sometimes growing pains, and mm-hmm. a lot of times if we can work through those really, really difficult points along the way, it will create all the greater foundation and stability in the long term. Um, but again, I want to be really careful here to to highlight there are some very extreme situations um, where it's really important to look at um, uh, one's safety as well. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is that we've also, in many ways, we have normalized couples therapy. Mm-hmm. That's no longer the huge stigma. I mean, you see, um, and I'm not just picking on the men, but sometimes uh, it was difficult for them. They didn't embrace a therapeutic environment the way women possibly did, but you see more and more men understanding and being willing to go into therapy. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I will say I will say there is still stigma. <laughs> I am really glad to see that it is lessening, that it is becoming much more commonplace for people to seek support and help. Um I think that that is one of the the green flags is when somebody is willing to uh figure it out together that both people are willing to come to the table and uh begin that discussion and one of the hard parts with couples therapy is that sometimes things get worse before they get better and that's true yeah. of therapy um across the board the reason for that is now we're bringing things to light things that have been swept under the rug or things that haven't been communicated around that have been internalized and have been festering, those things start to get uh, spoken about in such a way that, oof, it's hard to hear, and that's where the healing begins. Mm -hmm. So after that, that part of the process, then the healing really occurs, and again, things do tend to get better from there, Um, but that point in time is definitely very vulnerable. Well, let's move to COVID because um, we know that for almost two years now it's affected, there isn't anybody that isn't affected by COVID. Either it was their health or their jobs, their finances, their children. Uh, certainly when we talk about couples, it uh, it impacted the time for couples to be together and it certainly impacted our alone time. Um, and the nurturing of ourselves. It's no wonder people are are making, I've noticed, a lot of life-altering decisions. Is that a good idea, making decisions during such a stressful time? Oh, you're right. You know, it it really, um, COVID really has applied the pressure, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, It's created that pressure cooker 
And much like a pressure cooker that does not let any pressure out, the lid can eventually pop and the relationship can break down. I think that COVID has brought so many things to light, and that would include some compatibility issues. Um, one example would be a simple one. So you're, you're quarantined together, and one person's an introvert and one person's an extrovert. So their needs are a bit different. And when it comes down to that time spent with one another, um, they, they can, you know, quite easily get on one another's nerves. But also during this time, there has been that loss of, of employment for some people. Finances have been tight for some individuals as well. Children have been at home and cooped up, and there might also be a lot of homeschooling that has occurred during this time. Um, I think a, a good majority of kids have gone back into school, um, but there's, you know, the the points in time where it has um, really affected routine and rhythm. So all of these struggles um, have really magnified uh, issues that might have already been there. Um, and in addition to that, I do think that there has been quite an increase in mental health struggles. Um, I, on my own caseload, have seen a huge increase in anxiety and depression. And COVID itself, you might have the long hauler symptoms, um, and that can really impact uh, the uh, in-home responsibilities and how things are divvied up. So there have been huge number of changes, um, which can definitely, again, contribute to that sense of challenge uh, or frustration that uh, people have a breaking point. Well, and I think even in the, the best of times during the quarantine and the COVID, that was hard on everybody with the lockdown. And certainly, um, yes, things would be exacerbated that maybe weren't so big before the lockdown. So, it, again, it is the suggestion that these life-altering decisions, like whether to uh, get a divorce or whether to leave the relationship or moving cross-country or quitting your job, I mean, these I know people that have done every single one of those. And is it better to say, let's wait until the pressure cooker is off? Again, you know, it, it really depends on the couple. Um, I, let's look at it this way. Um, so thinking of foundation, um, one of the – I love visuals. I love metaphors. <laughs> uh, one of the, the visuals that I like to use is the idea of the foundation of a home. So if you're trying to build a brick house on top of toothpicks, well, it's going to crumble, right? Mm -hmm. um, or let's say that there are already cracks in the foundation, um, then there's a much higher likelihood of instability and things kind of falling apart, especially as things go forward in time. But if that relationship has a really good foundation, then it can weather a lot of storms and really ultimately it can have story after story built upon it. Um, and that, I think, is really important in consideration of the health of a relationship. So we're being shown the areas that are in need of healing. And I think that um, when it really comes down to it uh, in terms of this decision, 
um, you know, I think that there are going to be some relationships that come to realize, oh, wow, we're we're not as compatible, uh, and this isn't something that I want to do. I mean, some people do get to that point where they're just done. They're, they don't have anything left in the tank that they're willing or able to put forward into the relationship, and there is that sense of relief that they're just done. Um, and I think that when it comes to, to the decision to divorce, it's just it's tremendously difficult any which way that you look at it there's there's a lot of difficulty that that comes with that decision well and there's it's it's painful even if both parties want it and it's not acrimonious um, mm-hmm. it's just a painful painful process what is your advice to couples um, who have decided to get divorced how do they that word uncouple how do they uncouple appropriately what is what is um the best way to do the ending of that relationship i think having respect um there are certain things that no longer need to be argued about in the same way you know maybe coming to this decision allows for them to take some of um the the difficulties in communication off the table um, and to really focus on the logistics. And I think in addition to that, um, respect is, is really important. So ideally, if they're able to sit down and have a respectful conversation uh, so that they can both part ways, that, that would be the ideal. Um, unfortunately, a lot of times it, it's not quite as simple as that, um, that there's been a lot of hurt that's built up. It depends as well whether it's one person or both parties who really are wanting for this change to take place. If it's uh, more so one person than the other, oftentimes that will create some of that, that um, uh, contentiousness. And then, of course, whether or not children are involved, that can create a whole other part of the dynamic that can be quite difficult, what the custody arrangement will look like, what the uh, physical custody will will look like, um, if kids are going to go one week on, one week off. I mean, there's all sorts of different arrangements out there. And ultimately, coming to um, to those those decisions, I think uh, can can bring up a lot of pain for different individuals. So, one mm-hmm. thing I would very highly recommend is potentially being able to sit down with a therapist. Um, you know, that I would say is one of the things that we can do in a. Uh, session as well is the conscious uncoupling where there might be uh, closure. There might be that opportunity to give gratitude for the time spent and the growth that was had. Um, But in addition to that, to uh, have a clear expectation of what it would look like going forward. Um, And in addition, you know, again, if if children are involved, then it's beginning that co-parenting relationship because technically you will remain in one another's life for those children. Talk to um, the couples who have stayed together through thick and thin and but maybe lost some of that enthusiasm for the relationship. Um, they don't want a divorce, but they've done a little growing apart. How do they strengthen their relationship? So 
the opposite of the four horsemen are also really important. Um, one example would be um, instead of the you statements, trying to make more I statements. It's recognition of uh, one's own needs and feelings and trying to take ownership more so there. So an example would be instead of you never help with the dishes, I always have to do everything, um, it would be more like, hey, I know you're super busy right now, and I really would appreciate so much if um, maybe one thing that we could agree on would be maybe you could take the trash out. Uh, I, I've been noticing that I'm just very stressed out, and um, that is one area that, oh, I would have just immense gratitude because it, it really takes uh, an important piece off my plate. And so uh, there might still be some defensiveness. Even as I said it, I noticed a couple of the use statements filter in there. And so that right there is an example of where someone might also immediately take accountability of, I'm so sorry in terms of if, if that came across as blaming. I didn't in intend for it to sound as such. Uh, I think I was coming from my place of stress. And so that, again, is taking ownership. So. With that said, defensiveness, if somebody feels that they're going to defensiveness or they're wanting to justify their behaviors or uh, turn it around, instead trying more so to take accountability and ownership of what you can. I think that there have been a lot of extenuating circumstances, a lot of situations that have been out of our control, but look to what is within your control. Um, an example would be that if there's an area that you've been feeling guilty or feeling like, oh, man, I could really do better on that, then what can you do? Um, an example would be getting really specific about it of like, okay, this week I'm going to try to help out with the laundry more. Um, or this week I'm going to uh, tell my spouse, you, you should go hang out with one of your friends. Um, because I think that's also been a hard part during COVID is we're, we're – um, meant to be supported by a village. We really are. I think that um, the one of the breakdowns in a lot of relationships has been the, the emphasis on one another in that quarantine piece of it where there aren't as many of events uh, happening or things that people are able to go out and do uh, regarding their own interests. And so that would be one of the pieces here is really uh, encouraging our partners to do the things that they do enjoy, trying to give that space and time for them to be able to partake in those activities. Um, if contempt is a part of your uh, dialogue, then it's recognizing that that is really a, an important time to get in the door to a couple's therapist. Make the phone call today because there might be a waiting list. Um, a lot of people are coming forward for mental health services, uh, especially in the last year and a half because it brought so much to the table to be looked at and dealt with. Um, but because of that, a lot of therapists are pretty overbooked. So one of the biggest things is just trying to get on the waiting list and know that that's coming up. Um, but in addition to that, again, another visual, um, think of a tube of toothpaste. And let's say that I had you put it onto a paper plate, just squeeze it out onto a paper plate. And then I were to say to you, okay, now put it all back in. Would you be able to? I mean, you could get very crafty with it, right? You could get very, very creative. 
but truth be told, you're not going to be able to put it all back into that tube. Um, there is always going to be some level of residue left behind. And so really mean what you say, say what you mean, and be really cautious that when you're, you're saying hurtful words, um, those stay. There's an imprint that stays with those words. So um, if there have been words shared of that nature, take accountability and set boundaries around that behavior. Um, and last one is the stonewalling one. So that is an example of where somebody might be getting really flooded in the conversation. They've met their threshold. How do we know we've met our threshold? Maybe we start doing some nervous gestures. We start to feel elevated. Maybe we're starting to raise our voice. It might be that somebody's wanting to flee. Um, there, there are a lot of different ways that people can start to recognize where their threshold is. And when that has occurred, the, the conversation is likely to no longer be as productive. So stay in the conversation as long as you possibly can. But once you know that you're starting to head into a really, really ugly territory, that's it. Draw the line. And it takes about 30 minutes to physiologically come back down from that point. So give yourself space and time to self-soothe. Example would be do the dishes. Do, do something other than really um, go back and ruminate on what was just said. That will keep you in that spot. Um, but the other piece with that, too, is you have to come back to the conversation. These are things that we chip away at little by little by little, and there's what are called perpetual issues. What that means is that there are certain things that probably won't be resolved. Um, in fact, Gottman describes that 60% of the, the issues that couples argue about are perpetual issues. So it's learning how to argue about those issues, not in a way, again, that's demeaning or that's going to be raising your voice at your partner, but more so in a way that you're really trying to find how do we, how do we find compromise, how do we learn how, how to have acceptance and remain in that place of love and um, unconditional positive regard, uh, because judgment is also a contributor to the breakdown of relationships. So. <laughs> Thank you, Noran. And I assume on top of all that is couples who've been, you know, um, gone through COVID in the last couple years and want to re-engage sort of pre-COVID way, that it would include spending time together as a couple, going out on dates, you know, not ignoring that part of the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's really fun to, to learn how to date again, date one another once more, um, come back to that place of really getting to know each other again. Because as we go through the life of a marriage, people do change, and sometimes that includes even like a favorite color, a favorite food. My husband and I have a little, it's called a three-year journal, but it's um, one question a day. And we tend to take it uh, with us on date nights, um, but it asks little questions. And it's really interesting to see how our answers have changed over the three-year time period. Um, what our answer was two years ago might be different than what our answer is today. So we're continually learning about one another and appreciating uh, as those changes happen, we're trying to grow with each other.
That's good advice. Well, this has been um, chock full of great information, Nora Ann. I mean, if we're talking about divorce, we had to talk about relationships and we had to talk about marriage and about um, staying in and not staying in a relationship. But really what we talked about is how we communicate um, some very valuable information. So thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you, as always, for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, this has been a great topic. Um, send it on to people that you know that maybe uh, would like to hear or need to hear the information on relationships that we just got from Nora Ann. Um, we've been talking to Nora Ann Brooklocker. She's a local marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness, and I'm sure Nora Ann will be a guest on our podcast again sometime soon. Till then, um, everybody stay healthy, and if you would like to listen to other podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast, and have a great week.